Well, church family, I invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn to Daniel chapter six. Uh, For those that have been waiting, we are finally to Daniel in the lion's den. So here it is. Of course, uh, if you're new with us, the way that we approach scripture here is we pick a book of the Bible and I preach all the way through it. And my goal across my time of pastoring here at this church is to preach the entire Bible. Um, And so this means this will be my one and only shot of preaching one of the most famous stories in all of scripture. And so I've got a lot to say today. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. We're going to jump right in. For the sake of time this morning, we're just gonna read the first paragraph that sets up the scene of this famous story, these first five verses here in Daniel 6. We read this in the word of the Lord. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished among all of the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it tells us the truth that we need to hear that changes our lives. And Father, as we come to this story that in many ways has transcended the Judean Christian scripture that it is recorded in, we pray, God, that it would be made afresh and new in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, let us see you at work in Daniel's life and let us see Jesus in these verses, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Today's sermon really has two threads that I hope I am going to be able to weave together. My intention in this, normally I try to follow one thread in a sermon, but this is such a familiar story. Now I recognize maybe there is someone here that has no idea what's going to happen to Daniel in this lion's den or why this whole series has had a lion in the backdrop of it. But I imagine for most of us, even if you're relatively new to church, You know there was a guy in the Old Testament named Daniel that at some point was thrown into a lion's den because it is just a rather familiar story. So what I hope is through the familiarity of this story, I'm going to be able to weave two threads together. The first is the main theme that we have seen in Daniel and will continue to see as we continue into the prophetic section of this book. Chapter 6 ends the narrative section. 7 through 12 is the prophetic section, which we will start into next week. And this has been the main theme, that the Lord controls empires, the Lord controls nations, and calls his people to live faithfully as exiles among the nations. And that's what we've seen in these first five chapters, now moving into chapter six. And we will continue to trace that thread today here at the end of Daniel's life. 
However, there is a second thread, though, that I would want to trace this morning that I think we should always ask when we are always look for when we're reading in the Old Testament, and I think maybe even especially when we're reading stories like this one that to so many are so familiar. And that's this question. How do we see Jesus in this text? And a step even further, how is Jesus a better version of what we see here? Can we come to this text and, and see a several hundred years before Jesus, a picture of Jesus? I think we should be able to do this as we go to the Old Testament, going all the way back to Adam. We can see how Jesus is a new and better Adam, where Adam brought sin into the world. Jesus brings life into the world. And we could trace that all the way up to Daniel's time. Daniel, this faithful exile, all the way to the end. And yet Jesus, through this story, we see him who is a new and better Daniel. Today's sermon concerns being faithful to the end. And this is a sermon for everyone, no matter your stage of life. But I set myself up last week without you even knowing that I was doing it. Last week I made a statement and I was hoping that somebody was going to come and talk to me afterwards and multiple of you did it. So thank you for contributing to the sermon today. Last week I called people in their 80s old. And there was more than one of you that took a little offense to that. Because we don't like to think of ourselves as old, do we? We don't like to think of ourselves as even knocking on old. I can remember when being in your 40s was old and now that I'm one month away from being 42, I can promise you it isn't old at all. I'm so, I look, I am a spring chicken, okay? And I'll fight anybody that says otherwise. <laughs> Not really. We should really think of, we should be honest with ourselves and recognize that at some point, whether it's the way others view us or if it's just the simple facts, we move into the second half and sometimes even into the fourth quarter of life. It's okay to be old. And this is where we find Daniel, old. Daniel was in his 80s at this point, which during ancient times would have certainly been seen as being old without the marvel of medicines that we have that sustain uh, so much of our physical life today. Daniel would have certainly been seen as old, but this isn't just a message to people in that latter stages of their life. This is a message to all of us. Wherever we are in the race, we are to run it faithfully. So to the young people in the room, and I am so grateful for a church that has young people sitting under the teaching of God's word week after week, whether you're uh, in elementary school, middle school, high school, maybe you're a college student, starting your family, you're in your early parts of your life. Listen to me. This message is for you to run the race that may be decades in the future with endurance and faithfulness. For those who are probably like myself that are nearing or past halftime in your life, don't give up, keep running. To those who are in the fourth quarter of life that conceived the finish line, don't allow the finish line being in sight, being a reason for you to stop running. For all of us, we are called to be faithful to the end and we should be grateful for the example of Daniel here in his 80s, having lived now in two different empires, faithful. And we're going to see Daniel's faithfulness. And we're also, I believe, going to see some pictures of the faithfulness of Jesus here in this text as well. This first section shows us 
Daniel's faithfulness and secular responsibilities. As we read there in the first three verses, Daniel faithfully served now within a second empire. When Daniel, as a young teenager, probably somewhere 14, 15, 16 years old, was taken as part of the first group of exiles from Israel into Babylon and set there in, uh, in the palace of the Babylonian emperor. Daniel was a young man and placed into service of one empire. And as we saw in Daniel chapter five, somewhere close at least to 80 years old, Daniel prophesied because of the handwriting that was on the wall, the transition from the Babylonian empire to the Persian empire. And it takes place that very night. And this is where chapter six picks up is in the first few years of the Persian empire. And Daniel, once again, as he was during the time of the Babylonians, was given great responsibility. The word that is translated, the word there, satraps, this was a providential governor and we're told there were 120 of them and they had higher ups that they were to answer to, three of them. And Daniel was made one of those three. Now, until I came to preach this sermon, I never thought a single thing about the fact that, that, that chapter five ends the Babylonian empire, chapter six begins the Persian empire, and Daniel somehow keeps his job. That, that never really stood out to me until I start studying the text and I asked this question, why in the world would that happen? Let's just think about it in our own culture for a minute. We're used to peaceful transitions of power in the United States. But what's the first thing a new president does when they take power in January? They fire everybody that worked for the last guy, right? President Obama fired George Bush's people. Donald Trump fired Obama's people. Biden fired Trump's people and there's always some hand wringing. They're like, oh, I can't believe they fired everybody. And then the other side does it a few years later. I can't believe it. That's what they do. That's what rulers do. Rulers tend to what? Bring their own people. But somehow Daniel, after having served within the Babylonian empire for decades and not as just some underling, we were told that Daniel had risen to extreme levels of of authority within the Babylonian empire finds that he is still holding on to that authority. And we have to ask this question, why? Was it because Daniel was special? No. Was it because Daniel was, was from you know, Judea? He was, he, was, he was a Jew, he was an exile, and so he was seen as independent? No, we probably should recognize that Daniel probably looked talked and in ways other than what would have been ascribed by God for him not to do would have even acted Babylonian from the time he was 15 to the time he was in his 80s he had lived in Babylon and yet this new Persian king recognizes Daniel and places him over uh, so many in the in a position of authority why because God wanted Daniel there that is the only reason we can ascribe to Daniel surviving the Babylonian siege by Persia and this new king ruling in that place is God is the one moving the pieces here. God is the one controlling empires and Daniel living faithfully obedient to God in the midst of it maintains a position of authority for such a time as this. 
And as we saw in verses four and five that we read at the beginning today, there are some other people, likely Persians, likely these people who would have come with the Persian empire that didn't like Daniel very much. We're told that Daniel did such a good job that he is about to be promoted over everybody and the other people, the other presidents, the other governors, these people don't like the fact that Daniel is about to be promoted and so they look for a complaint against him. And what do they find? They find that no fault outside of his devotion to the Lord only could be found in him. There's no complaint that they could find in him. So what do we learn here from just this first section of Daniel? What, what's being demonstrated to us as far as it relies, depends on us being faithful exiles as we live amongst the nations? Hear me. Give them no excuse to make complaints about you. This is the example of Daniel. He did his job well. He set an example for what it meant to do, to do his job well. Even in this new empire, Daniel found a way to do his job in such a way that the new king sought to promote him. Sometimes the best thing we can do. I think often the best thing we can do for our personal testimony of faith amongst those who see us day in and day out is to actually do our work well. Be honest at your work. Show up on time at your work. Do your job well. It doesn't matter what your job is. Some of you work for the government. Many of you are, are, are government employees, either on the military side, on the contractor side. So many of us, so many in here run their own businesses. You're responsible for so much. Listen, it doesn't matter what your job is. You should do it well. Because by doing it well, people aren't going to be able to find fault in your secular activities. Now, there's plenty of fault they may be able to find, as these guys do, against Daniel and his devotion for the Lord. But let that be their complaint against us. If you want to have an impact for the gospel in your community, and when I say your community, I mean those, those people that you interact with every day. You want to have an impact for the gospel in your community, be the hardest worker amongst them. Be the guy that shows up early. Be, be the lady that leaves late. Be the one that is always honest and is always dependable. Be that person. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Set that kind of example. Don't let them make, find fault in something that they shouldn't find fault in like we see here with Daniel. But again, there's another thread I wanna trace here and it's the thread of Jesus. Daniel, while this this. The author here paints Daniel for us in a very positive light. Here's what we know. Daniel was not a perfect person because there were no perfect people. But there was one who is, and there is also one who no fault could be found in him. This is what John chapter 19 tells us. When Jesus goes, to, uh, Jesus goes before Pilate, another governor, a regional governor of Rome this time, not of Persia, and he's set before him by, by the Jewish leaders of the day. And, and, his, and they're like, find something wrong with him. What is it that Pilate says? I find no fault in this man. See, Jesus gave them no reason. No reason whatsoever to find fault in him. He alone is the perfect example of what it means to live day by day in righteousness. 
So we should be faithful in our secular responsibilities. We should be faithful in the way that we live our lives, but we should also be faithful in our devotion to the Lord. This is what we see here in this next section is Daniel demonstrated faithfulness to the Lord when it was unpopular to do so. Pick up with me in verse six. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to the king, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So here's what happens in the story. Darius, who seems as if he's a little bit of a pushover, gives in to the uh, advice, the wicked advice of all of these other rulers who lie to him and say, we have all agreed, even though the most important one, Daniel, who was about to be promoted over all of them, had certainly not agreed. But they say, we've all agreed that you should do this. And there's, a, there's the, this little intricacy about Persian law, that if there was a certain version of Persian law that could be put into effect that not even the king himself could revoke. And that's what they encourage him to do. And they say, for the next 30 days, not forever, but for the next 30 days, nobody gets to pray to anyone. Nobody gets to make petitions to anyone except for to you, Darius. We want you to feel really good about yourself. So this is what they're doing. They're feeding his ego, right? They're setting him up for ultimate failure here. And he signs this law and it's that kind of law to where no one could revoke it. And verses 10 and 11 are really telling for us. Daniel knows that the document is signed. So Daniel is aware that his actions are going to bring about negative consequences. So he's aware of that. So Daniel's not off somewhere else doing something else. The the authors of scripture make us aware that Daniel knows about it. And then there's a second thing in verse 11. Um, or sorry, there's a second thing in verse 10 that I think is also uh, very important for us. At the end of verse 10, we're told, as he had previously done. So this isn't a show of religious piety on Daniel's part. This isn't Daniel saying, oh, they passed a law, I'll go show them. No, this is what Daniel had done. And if we take the course of Daniel's life over the decades, this is likely what Daniel had done for year after year after year. We're told that he had a room that was had an upper area, it had windows that faced Jerusalem and there was nothing special about praying towards Jerusalem but it would have been a common activity as we'll see later in Daniel that there's a prayer of Daniel that the Lord would forgive the sins of his people and restore his uh, his people to their nation and so Daniel prays towards Jerusalem and these people knew that he was going to do it. Why did they know that he was going to do it? Because he had been doing it previously. So... (laughs) What we don't see here is Daniel being obnoxious. What we don't see Daniel doing is Daniel saying, well, if you're telling me I can't do it, then I'm going to go do it. What we do see is faithfulness on the part of Daniel. 
just a life of faithfulness that he keeps doing what he had already done to do. He goes and prays to God publicly as he had been doing, prays to God faithfully to him. This is Daniel's act of faithful devotion. It doesn't matter that the Babylonians were no longer ruling and the Persians were. It doesn't matter that Daniel had been in exile for some 65 years now or more. It did not matter to Daniel that a law had been passed saying he shouldn't do what he was about to do. He just went and lived faithfully. And here's what I think we can take from the text. Daniel doesn't wring his hands over the fact that he may get thrown in the lion's den over this. We never see any panic on Daniel's part. He just lives faithfully. Oh, Christians, let's live like Daniel. (laughs) Let's, Let's do what Daniel does here. And let's stop worrying about what the world may do to us. Let's stop the hand wringing and trust that the Lord is in control. If the Lord can see Daniel faithfully out of Judah into Babylon, out of Babylon into Persia, then the Lord can protect him if he prays like he's been praying for decades. He just lives faithfully. In a moment where it's not popular for him to do so, there were probably moments across Daniel's life where it was okay, at least accepted, for him to do so. I don't think faithful practice of the Lord is ever going to be popular this side of the second return of Christ. One day it'll be very popular. But I don't think this side of the return of Christ is faithful obedience to the Lord just day in and day out going to be super popular in our world. This is not the way the scriptures tend to talk about it. Jesus even tells his disciples that a servant isn't greater than their master and that if they persecuted me, Jesus says, talking about himself, they will also persecute you. So popular Christianity seems to go against the teachings of scripture. Sure, there are times where our practice of faith is more tolerated than others, but eventually they're going to look at us as exactly what we are, exiles. This has been the whole point of Daniel so far, is that we're not supposed to be at home where we are, even if this is our home, that we're supposed to be faithful exiles, living for God in the nations that he controls. So we we stop trying to make people accept us or make people do things a certain way or even wringing our hands when they don't and just recognize that God is in control and our response to his control is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. Even when that faithfulness leads to, as we see in this next part, great trial. Because Daniel faced persecution for his faithfulness. And as Jesus told his disciples there in John 15, so will we very often. Pick up in verse 12. Then they came near and said said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? The king answered and said that things stand fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but make his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, no, 
O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the, into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you have served continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid to whom the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his Lord, that nothing might be cha uh, changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So notice what the accusers of Daniel do. They go right back to the king and they're like, look, he's, they set him up. I mean, this, this is a setup, 100%. Darius is just a pawn. He gets played here and, and they, they, they set him up and he said, oh, didn't you say this? And he said, yes, I, I did say this. But notice in verse 13, because I think this is important for us to recognize. Daniel, again, in his 80s, been living probably 65 years in Babylon, probably dressed like them, probably had their accent, probably, you know, you certainly used their language, had been promoted over all of these positions. He was known as a prophet. He was known as someone who could interpret dreams, all of these things. And what does his accusers actually say of him in verse 13? Who was one of the exiles from Judah? The accusers of Daniel help us to see who Daniel is at his core. While Daniel had, had grown probably in wealth and power and position there in Babylon and Persia, he ultimately was still part of God's people, an exile from Judah. They think, they think they're insulting him. Oh, this isn't an insult to Daniel though, because Daniel still in this moment was who he was all of those years before when he said in chapter one, let us not eat the king's food and defile ourselves. Let us live faithfully in obedience to our God. Daniel is that same person as he runs his race with faithfulness and endurance. And the king kind of waffles and he doesn't want to punish Daniel because he likes Daniel. Why does he like Daniel? He likes Daniel because Daniel works hard. He had earned favor with the king and he looks for a way to let him out, but he can't find a way to let him out. And then what does he do? He throws him into a lion's den. What this looks like, we don't know. I'm imagining it was a cave somewhere, a place. This is where you could kind of, a, could kind of picture lions being kept, whether this is somewhere that the lions couldn't get out. Maybe it was a place where lions were just known to be. But a stone is rolled in front of it and is sealed. If this isn't an image of Jesus for us, because what happens to Jesus after he is falsely accused and crucified? He's placed in a borrowed tomb. A stone is rolled in front of it. Roman guards are set outside of it to ensure that no one messes with the body of Jesus. The same happens here to ensure that no one gives early relief to Daniel. And what does Daniel do in the midst of it? He trusts in the Lord during his persecution. Now I'm going to skip a few verses just to verse 23. And I'm very sorry if by skipping in the story, I'm ruining it for you, but let me just share you a secret. Daniel makes it okay. All right. I'm going to show you why first, and then I'm going to show you what happens. But look what happens in verse 23, because verse 23 speaks to Daniel's attitude as he's being thrown into the lion's den. Then the king was exceedingly glad because Daniel made it. Sorry, spoiler alert. And commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Listen, because he had trusted in his God. In the face of great persecution, in the face of being fed to hungry lions, what does Daniel do? He trusts in the Lord. 
it's what we see. It's the pattern of life that we see for Daniel and his closest compatriots, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego across the last six chapters. They trusted the Lord. When it was popular, unpopular, it did not matter. When they faced great persecution, when they faced great criticism, it did not matter. They trusted in God. They lived faithfully. Where we see Jesus here going into the last night of what would be his earthly ministry, physical life, this side of the cross. Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane, one of my favorite places, I was just there two weeks ago, (laughs) goes into the garden of, of Gethsemane, kneels down before the father, knowing what awaits him, knowing what awaits him. And what does he say? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Do you see the comparison? Daniel didn't fight. Daniel trusted the Lord. Jesus, a new and better Daniel on the night before his crucifixion, knowing that the sins of the world are going to be placed on his shoulders, doesn't fight. He looks to the Lord and says, I trust you. Daniel, ultimately Jesus, is an example of great faithfulness during great trial. And through that faithfulness, The Lord's faithfulness, greater than Daniel's, is put on display for all to see. We see this in the moment of Daniel in the lion's den when the Lord shuts the mouths of the lions. Go back now, verse 19, we'll see what happens here. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions. This even reads like like Peter and John, the women running to the tomb of, of Jesus arose and went with haste to the den of the lions as he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Hear the tension here. He wants him to live. He calls down here. He's waiting for a response. And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The Lord delivered Daniel from the lion's den because Daniel trusted in the Lord. Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And listen, Daniel's trust was in the Lord isn't predicated on whether the lions eat him or not. He trusted in the Lord. And the Lord saw fit here in this moment because of Daniel's faithfulness to shut the mouths of the lions. We're even told that the Lord sends the angel of the Lord. Now, because I know I'm going to be asked, is this Jesus? It's somebody (laughs) sent by the Lord. Oftentimes, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, the the presence of the Lord personified is the pre-incarnate Christ. Does Daniel spend an evening in a cave with the Jesus that is yet to come. We know this. He spends an evening in a cave with someone who is able to shut the mouths of the lions, who has the power over nature to be able to say, no, hungry lions, you will not eat this faithful servant of the Lord. Daniel, delivered from the lion's den, is a picture of us, of Jesus, a picture for us of Jesus delivered from the grave 
Looking back on this event in Acts chapter two, Peter proclaiming the first Christian sermon post-resurrection tells the people of Jerusalem that God raised him, that is Jesus up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Just as the angel of the Lord delivered Daniel from the lion's den, the father delivered Christ from the grave because the grave could not hold him. Why make this connection? Because sometimes folks, hear me clearly, sometimes, even in our faithfulness, the lions eat us. Christian history is scattered with the blood of faithful saints who went to the lion's den just as Daniel did, but their mouths were not shut. You say, how is that supposed to be an encouragement? It should be, and here's why. Because even if the lions of this world, figuratively or literally, devour our body because the grave could not hold Jesus, it can't hold us either. So the worst thing they can do is take our body. The worst thing they can do is feed us to lions. Now that may sound bad. It's not lost on me that it sounds bad. Oh, but it's temporal. It's a moment. It's a blink of an eye. And then what waits before us? Eternity with God. What's the worst that they could do? Feed us to the lions. Go to the lions. Run to the lions. Faithful Christian. Faithful before God. Trusting in him. Because his faithfulness will be on display. Whether the lions eat you or not. And ultimately, the Lord brings judgment on those who persecuted Daniel. So we see salvation here in this text, but we also see judgment in this text. Look at verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. This was harsh. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. You say, well, this is the judgment of Darius, not the judgment of the Lord. No, listen, folks, this is the judgment of the Lord. This is a picture for us of how the enemies of God, the enemies of God will be judged, whether in this life or the next, the enemies of God will be judged. And so what we do is we follow the example of Daniel. You know what Daniel doesn't, we can read into the text here. Daniel doesn't come out of the tombs going, all right, he saved me, go kill them. No, 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 Daniel was quiet. He gave credit to the Lord that the Lord had protected him. That was all Daniel needed to do. Years later, Jesus would follow in that same example and say what on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Paul, looking back on this kind of moment and this idea that the judgment belongs to the Lord, writes in Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our responsibility. Our responsibility isn't to enact the judgment of God on people, to bring the wrath of God on someone in this life. No, our responsibility is to show them the love of Christ even as they feed us to the lions. 
just as Jesus showed the love of the Father even as they nailed him to the cross. And ultimately, the Lord's faithfulness is made known to all people. Look how the story ends. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. This is incredible to me. We so often leave this out of the story of Daniel in the lion's den. We stop with Daniel being taken out. Watch what Darius does. He writes to all people's nations and languages that dwell on the earth. Everybody in the empire. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. (laughs) What happens? Oh, what a gospel picture. The faithfulness of the Lord to deliver Daniel from the lion's den becomes declared amongst the peoples of the world. This is what God does in our lives. As we run faithfully the life that Jesus has called us to live, through that life, through his faithfulness, we then develop a testimony of faith declaring to the peoples of the world that our God can rescue that our God can save, that our God has dominion that shall never end and his kingdom shall never be destroyed. Hear me, Christian, your life declares that truth if you'll just run faithfully. You run faithfully in this life and your life declares the gospel to the nations. So what? Believers, following the example of Christ should live faithful lives as we trust in the Lord's faithfulness. No matter what quarter of life you're in, no matter what stage of life you're in, as I begin is where I end, God is calling you to faithfulness. You may not be able to do everything that you once could do, but God is still calling you to faithfulness. You may not be able to do everything that you will one day do, but God is still calling you to faithfulness. Teenager, Hear me, God's not calling you to faithfulness one day. He's calling you to faithfulness now. Senior adult, you're not supposed to look back on your faithfulness and say, see how I was faithful. You're supposed to still be faithful now because that is the example that we see in Daniel and it is the better example we see in Jesus. Live faithful as we trust in the Lord's faithfulness. Paul, at the end of his life, or at least towards the end of his life, writes a second letter to his protege, Timothy. And in that, he begins by talking about his suffering because Paul was under great persecution. He was imprisoned during this moment, knowing that his death is imminent. And he writes about that suffering. And he says in verse 12 of 2 Timothy 1 that he's not ashamed of it. For I know, Paul says, whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Don't be ashamed of the way that you've suffered in this life. Run faithfully in it. Towards the end of that letter, Paul says in chapter four, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the instruction of the apostle Paul. I believe looking back on Jesus, but also referencing the lion's mouth. Live faithful to the end, Christian. This is what God has called us to. He has called us to live faithfully to the end. Run the race with endurance. Be willing to be poured out as a drink offering before the Lord. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith, recognizing that what awaits us is worth it. No matter what happens to us in this life, it's worth it. No matter the persecution, hardship we may face, it is worth it. Because running after Jesus is always going to be worth it. Now, here's what I also recognize. Maybe there's someone here today who is not running after Jesus. You never have started. Know this. What awaits you, if you don't turn towards Christ, what awaits you is exactly what awaited those who falsely accused Daniel who manipulated the king to have Daniel thrown in the lion's den. What awaits you ultimately is the wrath of God. We're told in the scriptures that the wrath of God actually already sits upon you because of your unrighteousness. Oh, but here's the good news. That Jesus that went to the cross, that Jesus that the grave could not hold, did so for you, my friend. He did so that you might come to faith and repentance and believe in him and he take on your sin and give you his perfect righteousness. Remember the only one who could be perfect, Jesus, did so for you. And he offers that freely to you today. If you'll come to him in faith saying, I believe that you did that for me, Jesus. You'll repent of your sins, which just means to change the way you think. Go from you being in control of your life to running the race after Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are in your stages of life. You can make that decision today. Calling on him believing in him, that he has given himself for you and that the father sealed that by raising Jesus from the dead and he'll one way raise you too. Believe in that today, my friend, and be saved as we together live faithful lives to the end. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for calling us to faithfulness. Thank you, God, for the such great demonstration of faithfulness in Old Testament saints like Daniel going faithfully to the lion's den, culminating with the faithful life of Jesus, willing to go to the cross for my sin, for the sins of the others in this room. Let us, oh God, respond to that by running this life in faith, trusting in you who holds all things in his hand. And let our lives, God, proclaim the gospel. Let our lives, God, be a shining example of your faithfulness as we persevere faithfully to the end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.